Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. I'm not Brian Berger. I'm the substitute teacher for this week. I'm Nathan Roach, but thank you for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Featured segments on this week in segment three, our friend Paul Swangard from the Warsaw School of Sports Marketing at the University of Oregon is in New Orleans for the NBA All-Star Weekend. We're going to discuss highlights from the event and how the city of New Orleans is holding up after Katrina. In segment four, Brian had a chance earlier this week to catch up with Robert Sarver. He's, of course, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, and as you remember, maybe, he went down last weekend to Phoenix, sat in Sarver's box, but there was a big deal going on, obviously the trade of Shaquille O'Neal. Brian had a chance to discuss the Suns' acquisition of Shaq and the impact it'll have both on and off the court in Phoenix. A couple of other notes. Visit our sports business blog or download the SBR's podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Visit our interviews page on our website featuring some of the best guest interviews we've done. Just click on the podcast toolbar and look for the drop-down interviews link. Big week this week on Capitol Hill. Yesterday, during a four-hour hearing before U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, Roger Clements continued and insisted that he did not take any form of steroids or HGH. So, Bobby, what do you think? Big, big day on the Hill. Word of the day for me was misheard. I was misheard by Andy Pettit. Do you believe him? I don't. I really don't. And, you know, I really think that Brian McNamee basically laid down the law saying, hey, here's what happened. I kind of got proof. It's going to be your word against mine and... I have stuff that says I did it, and you want to say no? Well, let's look at the evidence. Well, the big thing for me is Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit is the key witness in this, and I think Congress made a huge mistake by not bringing Pettit in to testify. The other thing to take into consideration, we talk all the time on this show, if you did it, admit it. And guess what? Andy Pettit now is admitted, and the way he talked about he was talked about in Congress as being this honest guy. I mean, Andy Pettit's the hero now. Yes, he is. But then again, you have to look at Clemens' wife. Uh, what you happened do, there? Yeah, the HGA. That's, that's a whole other story in and of itself. Coming up next, we got sports business radio headlines. Talk about Clemens. We'll talk about the All-Star Weekend. Stay tuned. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. 
Well, it's time for this week's Sports Business Radio Headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. We talked in segment one about Clement's trip to Capitol Hill. Missing from Capitol Hill was, of course, Andy or Andy Pettit, Roger Clement's former teammate, who in an affidavit, along with a separate one submitted by his wife, provided some of the most difficult moments of the day for Roger Clements. Both affidavits stated that Clements in the past had talked to Pettit about Clements' use of HGH. Clements, in repeated questioning about Pettit's sworn statements, said that several times Pettit misremembers the conversation they had. That's why I said that was my favorite word. He said it over and over and over again. Bobby, What's going on here with Roger Clements? I misremember a lot of things. I, I misremember stuff all the time. Other moments that tested Clements, if you're able to watch it or read the blog like I did at work, was when he was asked to talk about his former nanny and how he talked to her before the committee was able to interview her. That's a little shady. Whether or not he was at Jose Canseco's party, also a little shady. And Bobby, in segment one, you mentioned his wife taking HGH very shady. So Clements was definitely on the defense the entire time. However, McNamee, he seemed a little more collected than Clements did. Is it just me or this whole thing seemed like a little family affair to you? You had the wife, the nanny, Roger Clemens. Who else is going to come out next? Maybe they injected his kids was playing, but... No, I, I completely agree. And now, McNamee's lawyers then came out later this week after this happened and said that if Clements is going to be... If, if he's going to be tried for perjury... There's a chance he might be pardoned by George W. Bush, our president, because of his relationship with the Bush family. He even mentioned in his testimony this week that George Bush Sr. was able to get a hold of him while he was on a hunting trip and call him and and give his condolences for what they were going through. You know, this whole thing is so odd from the president to his wife to the nanny. I mean, and now you don't know what's going to happen. As far as the pardon, let's just cross that bridge when we get there because it could happen and it could not happen. The interesting thing is, though, ESPN ran their fan poll about the whole, you know, how the nation feels. Every every state in the country believed McNamee. Nobody believed Roger, even the state of Texas's home state. I mean, so it's pretty damning evidence. You know, and, and there's a part of me that wants to believe Clements because of his legacy. But after yesterday, I mean, I think it sealed the deal on whether or not he's guilty. He just didn't put up a very good fight. But we'll have to see what happens in the future with this. Headline number two, NBA All-Star Weekend is taking place in New Orleans this week. As far as I'm concerned, the NBA All-Star Weekend is the premier All-Star event for all pro sports. Yes, even better than Major League Baseball. We're going to discuss the All-Star game in more detail in segment three with Paul Swangard. But, you know, something that I thought was really cool is players this week are going to be sporting some pretty cool shoes. I know, Bobby, you're a big fan of kicks. All the players in the NBA All-Star game on Sunday will don special basketball shoes designed by various shoe companies as the league lifts its color restrictions on footwear. Some of them include Carmelo Anthony. He's going to be wearing the brand-new Jordan shoe we've heard so much about, the Jordan 23. Yao Ming is going to wear a Reebok Elite pair of shoes. And uh, Dwayne Wade will wear a limited-edition Wade 3, which hits stores nationwide today. Uh, One of the coolest shoes, I think, that's coming out of this is uh, Steve Nash's Trash Talk shoe made by Nike. It's manufactured from waste, and that debuted earlier this week, but there'll be an all-star version of it this weekend. The, the shoe retails for 100, about 100 bucks. This is a really cool shoe, and it, it really it personifies what Steve Nash stands for. It totally does. It's made from recycled material that, ha- that is basically waste product, and it's really cool because Nike's been able to take it Transform it into a shoe, but like you were saying, it really goes along with Steve's philosophy. The guy is all about recycling, going green, 
you know, giving back to the community, giving stuff away, and making stuff affordable for people who can't afford it. Absolutely, and the shoe will be sold at the House of Hoops by Foot Locker in New York and New Orleans this week for about 100 bucks. Steve Nash said he had nothing to do with the price point, but he did have something to do with uh, the recycled material. Headline number three, NBA Commissioner David Stern is considering new plans to create a full-fledged NBA franchise in Europe over the next decade, according to the league. The source said that Stern is expected to discuss the league's new stance at a Saturday news conference. The plan would be to create five new teams in major markets from a European division within the NBA. Teams would play a full 82-game schedule and compete for the NBA championship. London, Berlin, Rome, and Madrid would be among the leading candidates to receive the NBA franchises, as each city already has built or plans to build a new NBA-styled arena. However... In the, in the expansion is pr- predicated on more arenas being built in Europe in the coming years. We talk a lot on this show about how European stadiums and arenas for NBA games and, and D-leagues are not really sufficient to house these types of games. This sounds like they're moving forward into the global expansion of uh, the NBA. You know, the Saturday news conference with Stern will bring a lot, and I know that we'll talk about this in segment three of Paul Swangard, about the continued globalization of basketball. But you're right. Everything depends on the arena. And if these cities do build these better arenas, then I say, you know, I'm all for it. Let the NBA expand to Europe. The Coliseum Commission this week, by a vote of 9-0, to zero, voted to agree to a non-binding letter of intent that gives USC a 25-year lease. It can be extended to 47 years. And the veto power over an NFL team returning to the Coliseum, according to the LA Times. The agreement hinges almost entirely on the sale of the naming rights. Lawyers will have two months to formalize the deal. L.A. Memorial Coliseum officials believe that a corporate sponsor could pay $5 million a year or more to rename the 84-year-old venue while keeping the Memorial Coliseum part and also help fund a structural overhaul. Such naming rights could dwarf the most lucrative current deal for a college stadium. They hope to raise $50 million and perhaps much more to fund improvements, including new video boards, concessions, seats, elevators, escalators, and locker rooms. We know that the Coliseum is outdated. Bobby, what do you think about this? You know, it's one of the most historic college venues in the country just for its history, the Olympics and everything else, but it's also one of the most run down, and it's really, really worn out. Any money they can bring in to help build the Coliseum again to a premier event, USC is all for it. I really like the fact that USC has the right to veto an NFL team coming back because it keeps USC and UCLA football the main football in Southern California. Well, that that veto right is huge, like you just said. I mean, in order to not allow an NFL team, which we've been talking about, and L.A. is basically next in line to get an NFL team, and with this power, that would prevent a team moving to the second biggest market in the country. I think that that is a huge statement about what this deal is about. Headline number five, we talked about what Eli Manning's MVP Super Bowl performance might do for his marketability. Well, Gatorade has launched a new ad featuring Eli Manning as part of its League of Clutch campaign, highlighting now Manning held up under pressure during the Super Bowl. The spot is running on cable networks including ESPN, NBA TV, and Fox Sportsnet and will appear during this weekend's All-Star Game coverage. Manning has been on Gatorade's roster since 05, but the ad airing last night and this week features clips of Manning's performance in the Super Bowl and then the celebratory Gatorade bath he received after clinching the victory. I'm an eBay guy, so this is always really cool. Gatorade is auctioning off eBay five commemorative bottles signed by Manning. This is cool. And you know what? I'm a doubter. I'm an Eli Manning doubter, so I'm surprised that uh, all of a sudden he's been boosted into this role because I still 
Don't think he has the charisma that his brother does. I don't know how he'll perform in commercials moving forward. We've seen the flop that is the Oreo commercial. Bobby, what do you think about Eli Manning? You know, it's funny. They started this year off with an ESPN commercial. It was the Manning family taking a tour, walking through ESPN. And Eli and Peyton going back and forth, flicking each other. That's a great ad. It's a great ad. And it kind of it started for me kind of realizing, you know what, this kid does have some potential. Winning the Super Bowl definitely helps. Winning, you know. Being... Winning the Super Bowl the way he did really True. helps. I, I mean, if he'd blown him out of the water, I think that that was one of those quintessential moments in sports history. And, of course, I think it's great that they're going to feature him. I totally agree. But, you know, back to the Gatorade commercial. It's great that they're not only using him, but they're increasing – you know, the overall exposure of the league, which is great. But for Eli's sake, I'm really glad he finally is in a good commercial that features just him and doesn't have to worry about him living up to his mom, dad, and his brother. Well, coming up in our next two segments, we have Paul Swangard. He's down at the All-Star Game in uh, New Orleans. It'll be great to catch up with him, see what's going on in New Orleans and how the city is able to handle the All-Star Game. And then in segment four, you'll definitely want to stick around for this. Brian had a chance to catch up with Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns earlier this week, and uh, we'll talk about the huge trade and Shaquille O'Neal and the brand that is Shaquille O'Neal. A lot of you might doubt what Shaquille can do on the court, but from a business standpoint, this is a great move because Shaquille O'Neal will bring tons of money to the Phoenix Suns organization. So stick around. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back with Paul Swangard. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard from the Warsaw School of Sports Marketing at the University of Oregon. He's down in New Orleans for the NBA All-Star Game. Paul, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be with you guys. So, Paul, you're in obviously in New Orleans. Big weekend with the All-Star Game going on. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the NBA-related meetings that you've been attending? I know the Technology Summit is always one of the highlights of the weekend. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like like a lot of the All-Star events that all the professional leagues do, the NBA does a really nice job of blending business with pleasure. The the highlight for a lot of the business networking is the NBA Technology Summit, a, uh, a gathering of a lot of the leading you know, people in the in the space uh, highlighted by a one-on-one uh, sit-down with the FCC chairman, really talking about the future of, you know, the broadcast medium and and the role that sport plays in in driving technology and technology adoption. And you know, we talk all the time, obviously, on this show about sponsorship. What sponsors have you seen down there that have a real big presence? I, I'm assuming Nike, but uh, what are some of the sponsors down there? 
Well, you know, certainly Adidas is the official partner, has, uh, you know, a lot of visibility as you just drive in from the airport. You'll see, uh, you know, their signage pretty much everywhere that uh, a banner could be hung. One of the unique aspects to this year's event is the uh, the NBA Cares Initiative, which really is about bringing uh, attention to the the work that the, the league does in, in sort of cause marketing. And, and for the first time ever, they've gotten all of their corporate sponsors to uh, spend against this cause marketing effort. So we'll see over the next uh, couple of days, most notably in the uh, on Friday, the NBA Day of Service, where all these sponsors in their own way and, and relevant to their brand will try to reach out into this community and show that uh, the NBA does care about the uh, uh, both the current state and the future state of the city of New Orleans. Paul, I was going to ask you about that. What happens? You know, what is the NBA doing? We know that in the last few years, they've really paid attention to New Orleans and kind of get the city back up and going. But what specifically are they going to be doing on Friday? Well, what they're doing is they're basically asking everyone who's here to uh, to give something back. And so uh, for those of us, for example, who are attending the Technology Summit, we'll spend the second half of the day out in the community, uh, either in the Ninth Ward or, uh, you know, in, in playgrounds and parks around the area, you know, focusing on a couple of dimensions, bringing the uh, people back to New Orleans, making sure that there's housing available to folks that's affordable. Uh, and also, as it connects back to the NBA brand, making sure that there are places for uh, kids and adults to play, so working on uh, trying to provide folks the uh, you know the opportunity to have uh, you know good playgrounds and good condition that uh, may include a basketball court or two. And if uh, kids are playing basketball here, that's a good thing for the business of the NBA long term. The NBA is talking about you know wanting people to come back, but one thing that could be happening is they could be losing their NBA team. How does that all go over in the community? Well, you know, I think this is an important weekend for the you know, the future of the NBA in the market. Certainly, there are uh, you know there are some you know stark business realities to the business of the NBA day to day once this uh, All Star event leaves the market. And I think the ownership of the Hornets have set the stage for at least uh, providing a a logical path to reach a decision on whether there is a reason to stay in the market. What they've done is renegotiate their lease to to say if they can't guarantee a certain uh, attendance figure with a pretty competitive team on the floor for the next few years that they will seek potentially an option to relocate. So, you know, this provides a forum to uh, engage the community, get them excited about the NBA. And what's great about uh, what happens in the wake of the All-Star game leaving is they've got a phenomenal basketball team with a lot of bright young stars on the floor. And if they'll just show up and support them, uh, there's a good chance this, uh, this city might retain an NBA franchise long term. You know, Paul, one of the things we talk about with these giant events is how difficult it is for any city, for that matter, to host something of this capacity. How is New Orleans doing as a host city so far? Obviously, the city is still uh, rebuilding after Katrina. So, you know, the amount of people that are coming in, how has the city done so far in, in accommodating those people? Well, first of all, I want to go on record that I have the best taxi driver in New Orleans driving me around the city right now. But I would also say that, you know, great hospitality. It is a stark contrast, quite honestly, to uh, Las Vegas, which was um, quite honestly scary. Um, and that was not just because of the NBA being there, but there was uh, Chinese New Year. It was Valentine's Day weekend. There was also a, a large con uh, conference uh, convention going on in the market. Um, here, it's a little bit um, more laid back, and I think the city is doing a great job. And as, uh, can, as people continue to f flow into the community, I think uh, as they've shown with hosting the BCS and the bowl games and some of the other activities that have happened already since this uh, town has uh, hung up its shingle and said we're ready to party, that uh, they do a pretty good job of making sure that people have a good time while they're here. 
Well, I know that you've been to a number of uh, All-Star games in the past. How have you seen the All-Star game evolve in terms of uh, corporate sponsorship and just the game itself and the whole weekend over the last couple years? Yeah, a lot more activation. I think the NBA is doing a good job of getting their partners to really use the All-Star game as a platform to either uh, you know, launch uh, additional marketing initiatives against the, the NBA season or to uh, just continue to do what they're doing well. Um, they're doing phenomenal, uh, you know, licensing business here. The sales of licensed merchandise in the last few years have just gone, uh, you know, off the charts, I think exceeding almost everybody's expectations. And it really is just a celebration of what the NBA represents, which is a global basketball brand. That We were just at an event here just a moment ago where, you know, you saw people from Europe and from Asia and, and from all parts of the U.S. coming together and really celebrating what uh, – you know, arguably is one of the great emerging global sports brands that uh, is relevant, uh, whether you're living in Portland, Oregon, or if you're living in uh, Guangzhou, China. Paul, talk about the subsidiary events, the slam dunk contest, the three-point game, the celebrity challenge. Sponsors have a lot of money tied into this. Is it almost that these events now, in terms of sponsorship, are bigger than the actual game? Uh, to a certain extent, I think Saturday has become a, a really important platform. It, it, you know, it offers something unique to viewers at home, and, and certainly provides the sponsors to have a little bit more of a chance to uh, to integrate themselves in in the NBA more so than just a typical NBA game. And, and let's be honest, you know, the All Star Game is, you know, at the end of the day, kind of a glorified. Uh, uh, exhibition game and the slam dunk and the skills competition, those other things really provide something unique and different. And that's why the sponsors have, uh, have really tried to, you know, resonate with those and, and spend against it. Kind of to build off what Bobby just said, there's all sorts of little events that go on. Are there any sponsor promotions that have really caught your eye this year? I mean, there's obviously the slam dunk contest, three point shootout, but other side venues and events that are going on that have been kind of unique this year. Uh, one of the great things about an all-star weekend, there's always a party. Um, you know, EA is doing some pretty unique stuff. They're, uh, you know, really ingrained into the culture of the NBA, and they have a uh, celebrity uh, video game tournament that they host. And, you know, it's really like the Super Bowl, like some of the other, you know, major all-star type of events. It, it really is a chance for all the related businesses that, you know, use the NBA and the game of basketball to drive their business to come here and celebrate the midpoint of a what's been an interesting year so far and uh, arguably will be an exciting year with a a lot of interesting you know subplots to the uh, you know to the game that's being played on the court here in the, in the next few months so it's a good reason to have a party and uh, you know at the end of the day one of the great things about a party is uh, in this case the NBA gets a lot of business done when they party speaking of parties i'm hearing that the NBA has told its players participants and staffers that you know what Feel free to be on the city, but just stay in the French Quarter. Are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody's being realistic about not wanting to try to, uh, you know, put anyone in a position where they're outside of, of their comfort zone. This is a community that, as we've talked about here, uh, you know, during this discussion is uh, still in a, in a state of rebuilding. And there's uh, a lot of parts of the city that really uh, are, are not places where uh, the NBA needs to be right now and their players don't need to be there and, uh, I think they've done a really nice job in making sure that uh, folks know where they, uh, you know, they can have a safe and fun time, and that's the place where people are focusing on. You've been down there for a few days. What's New Orleans looking like now? We all know what it looks like or looked like after Katrina. How is the rebuilding going, and what does it look like today? 
Well, I think people have been struck, those who I've talked to that have been out looking around in the city, is that, you know, the, the inner core of the downtown, the French Quarter, looks, uh, you know, pretty much as it was uh, pre-Katrina. But as you get outside into some of the other areas that, uh, in some cases, it looks as though, the, you know, Katrina just happened yesterday. So I think the message to folks listening at home is, uh, you know, this is a place that still needs uh, the nation's attention, still needs to, uh, you know, focus on the process of rebuilding. And, you know, the NBA bringing its uh, biggest party to town, you know, gives them an opportunity to amplify that message. And hopefully, uh, you know, people will listen and understand that, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. I, I'm a guy that always looks to likes to look towards the future. What do we see the future? How, how's the future of the NBA All-Star Game uh, taking shape? Have you heard anything new about what we can expect next year and in years to come? Well, I mean, we're we're going to Phoenix next year. That's the the plan. I, I think one of the you know discussions, and I've not had any of these discussions with the NBA in particular, but um, coming off of Las Vegas, where there was a lot of you know challenging problems with. You know, a crowd that comes into the NBA All-Star Game that's not really a part of the NBA that is, uh, you know, just trying to come in for the party, uh, that maybe they would look to take this event international as a way to, uh, you know, export, you know, arguably one of the marquee events uh, that they have and, uh, you know, maybe move it to a place where, uh, you know, some of that population that typically comes to this game would would not be in a position to go and and maybe scale it back uh, from a participant participation standpoint but still have the impact that the nba wants to have as it uh, continues to position itself as one of the top global sports brands paul we're almost out of time uh, just give us a quick uh rundown what's happening down at the warsaw center uh you know we're in the midst of uh winter term having a you know stretch of uh, time here coming off our you know our big trip to new york we'll take the kids down to san francisco here in a few weeks um and in the process of looking to fill our uh, you know, incoming class for 2008. So we're uh, we're still looking for some good candidates who are interested in coming back for grad school, uh, studying the business of sport in a pretty unique and compelling way. And uh, any of your listeners that might be interested, encourage them to go to www.warsawcenter.com to get more information about our program. Well, Paul, we we really wish we were down there with you. Uh, we thank you for taking the time and uh, have a great time down there. Uh, you know, it's 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 part of the job. You know, Brian is. Uh, I'm sure. Unfortunately, not with us tonight, but I'm sure he is, uh, you know, thinking about the chance to uh, come down and party with me next year. Absolutely. Maybe I can uh, stuff myself into his luggage. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, thanks again. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. 
one-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Robert Sarver. He's the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Mr. Sarver, thanks for making time to catch up with us. You're welcome. So it was very nice to meet you in person last week down in Phoenix. And lo and behold, uh, shortly after I saw you, the Suns made huge news with the acquisition of Shaquille O'Neal. Now, I hear that this trade was first discussed at the ownership level and that Heat owner Mickey Arison called you. Can you walk us through how this deal materialized? Uh, that's true. I think um, it. Mickey made it clear he wanted to find a good home for Shaq if they were going to do something, and he really appreciated uh, the effort Shaq's given to the Miami Heat and helping them win a championship and wondered if we thought it'd be a good fit and spent some time talking to our coaches and our basketball management staff and spent a few days exploring it and watching tape and decided that we thought it'd be a good move for us and would improve our chances to go farther in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, Shaq's one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet, so this deal isn't just about what he does on the court. It's franchise value and what he does at the box office. I know you said uh, last week you're in the process of season ticket renewals, as many of the NBA teams are. You're going for a 90% renewal rate. You've added courtside seats. How much uh, did the economics of this deal and what Shaq means to the stardom, I guess, of your team? You've already got stars on the team, but Shaq is a, a, a star in his own right. How much did that factor into this decision? You know, to be honest with you, really not a lot. I mean, um, you know, when he came to Miami, uh, they had about 6,000 season tickets sold, and he, you know, helped them sell another 8,000 seats and really reinvigorated the business side of the business. For us, we've we've been sold out for 100 straight games. We've got 15,000 season ticket holders, and this deal was really not a lot about, uh, you know, generating revenue in terms of sales. It was more about, uh, trying to give us that last piece that can help us get over the hump and, and win a championship. Uh, sticking on the impact of Shaq, what has he meant to jersey sales? Are there any new sponsors, ticket sales? I know you just said you're sold out. Um, you know, future ticket sales, has he had any kind of a measurable impact? Uh, too early to tell. We really um, haven't. I don't think his jerseys have been have been printed. I'm sure they'll sell quite a bit. And um in the press conference he said he's coming out with a new t-shirt 9.99 and i had to tell him we're not going to make any money selling t-shirts at nine dollars <laughs> but uh, he, he's a very personable guy and uh you know people love him and I, i'm sure there'll be plenty of merchandise that's sold but uh at the end of the day that's really not the main focus with him it's it's just trying to get that championship yeah, I mean, that's one of the things so many people spoke about. And listen, we haven't been in the locker room, and I don't know how much time you've spent in the locker room, but chemistry for any team, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, is so important. And you'd heard that the chemistry was beginning to erode a little bit on the team. Shaq's got such a magnetic personality. Isn't that a big part of what he can do to kind of give a lift to this team right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he, he's won four championships. He's respected by our players. He's a good leader. Uh, he's a good role model, and he will uh, help energize our locker room. I can already see it, you know, with the players uh, kind of being re-energized. And uh, you're right, it is a team game, and the players have to believe in themselves, and they got to believe in every other teammate around them. And as a team, they got to think they can win. 
in order for them to win, and I think this will help us a little bit in that area. Well, and you've got guys like Steve Nash and Grant Hill who aren't getting any younger, and the window is closing a little bit. I mean, you know, you've got one of the best medical staffs in the league, and to see what they've done with, with Nash and Grant Hill is phenomenal, and you've got to think that they might be able to do the same thing with Shaq, right? Yeah, we, we we've had good success with some with some big men too. Um, Antonio McDice was a player who was having a lot of difficulty and spent some time with our training staff and ended up getting a new five year contract. Um, uh, and we think that we can improve Shaq's strength and flexibility, uh, and 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 really kind of reinvigorate his his career. Here is the plan. Um, we've got three really good core young players that are all about 25 years old, Amari Stoudemire, Boris Diaw, and Leander Barbosa. Then we've got kind of our older crew, uh, w- w- which is Nash, Grand Hill, and Shaq. And then we've got, you know, kind of in the middle, um, you know, Boris Diaw. Um, but, I mean, uh, Roger Bell. But um, it, it, this is our time. We're close. Uh, I'd like to think that we've done everything we can to help Steve and the Phoenix community win a championship during the next couple of years. My guest is Robert Sarver. He's the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Mr. Sarver, uh, you've sold first-round picks the last few seasons. You traded away Kurt Thomas in the offseason. You've been very fiscally responsible with your payroll, which I believe is around $71 million right now. With this trade, and I know Shaq has two years on his deal after this year, have you changed your financial philosophy a little bit in an effort to go for it? You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, people say, well, he's conservative, he's a banker, and I kind of think sometimes if I was in the oil and gas business, no one would say that, <laughs> that it's really more the fact that I'm a banker, because when you really look at the numbers, I mean, I spent the most money for a franchise that anyone's ever spent, Right. $401 million. In the last three and a half years, I've signed $311 million of contracts, which is more than any team in the league has done. Wow. And our payrolls increased by $38 million, which is more than any team has done. So in many ways, I've kind of been the biggest spender since I've been in the business of any of the other teams. And I think, you know, you you can argue, did you make the right moves? Did you make the wrong moves? But it sure hasn't been about spending money. But like you just said, I mean, this is this has to do with on the court. This is a little bit about business, but it's mostly about what he brings. And you think that he may be the missing link to get you over the hump because, you know, a lot of people have said the Suns are the most exciting team in the league to watch, but can that style win an NBA championship mm-hmm. when in the playoffs it's slow down and you're banging against Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett and guys like that? You need a guy like Shaq. Right. It'll definitely give us uh, another option. It'll give us a little more flexibility. Uh, it'll improve, I believe, our, our biggest weakness, which has been defensive rebounding and kind of guarding the post. Um, Amari is is really quick offensively, and but he gives up a lot of size on defense, um, and it's tough. And so this, uh, I think this will help us in those areas and, and give us more flexibility, I believe, to be more effective in a half-court offense, too. Well, and if Steve Nash can't find a way to get Shaq the ball, no one can. And if you look back on Shaq's career, he's really never had a point guard like Steve Nash on his team. That's true. You know, he, he kind of mentioned that. He, he said the best he had was, was Scott Skiles, but it was kind of at the end of Scott's career. Um, but, uh, you know, offensively, Steve will figure out how to get it done. The key is going to be that, you know, he gets uh, – that Shaq gets the flexibility and the mobility and gets in shape and that he can he can give us what we need defensively. 
Are you still looking at a debut of Shaq Wednesday after the All-Star break against the Lakers? Uh, I think that's the plan, but but it's kind of a day-by-day. He's trying to get four or five practices in so he's more comfortable with the team and the plays and the sets. And he hasn't played in a game in several weeks, and so getting him in shape and he knows all eyes will be on him. And at the end of the day, it's going to take a month to get it all kind of working right anyway. But I think he wants to make sure the first game that he's he's got as much uh, as much practice as possible with our team. My guest is Robert Sarver. He's the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Mr. Sarver, we haven't had you on for a while. And uh, we haven't had you on since last year's playoffs. And you had the controversial series against the San Antonio Spurs. I was so outraged at what happened with the suspensions of Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw. I thought the league really messed up on that. When you go to the Board of Governors meetings, I know there's another one coming up in April, mm-hmm. have you suggested that they rethink the leave the bench rule, or are you going to leave that alone and not say anything? You know, at the last meeting I, I was going to bring it up, but what I found out was that's not really a rule that was ever voted on by the Board of Governors. It, that, that That's a rule by the commissioner and that – uh, the, the way the league works is that the commissioner is in charge of making and enforcing rules that take place on the court. And so that's not really within the purview of the owners to begin with. See, that's so weird because I've heard him interviewed numerous times after that and since then. And he said, hey, listen, I work for the Board of Governors. I work for the owners. If the owners want this change, then we'll put it to vote and they can change it. So you're telling me that's not the case. Well, I mean, he does work for the owners, and, and, and that is how it's structured. But but as I look back on when that rule was put in place and found out how it came about, it it, it, it wasn't something that was voted on by the Board of Governors. It, it was a, uh, a rule that was put in place by the commissioner. And as I said, the way it's set up is he's in charge of rules on uh, on the court. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And what happened happened. It wasn't something we, we liked or agreed with, and it – it was tough to swallow, but it is what it is, and our focus is on this year. Uh, I want to talk to you about a few other things before we wrap up. Uh, you have an outdoor preseason game planned, I saw, for this October. That's pretty unique. Uh, can you share yeah, some of the details of, of that's that That's going to be really cool. Um, there's a tennis center there in Indian Wells, and for two weeks during the year they play a big tennis tournament. But right. really for the rest of the year they don't really use it very much, and so – uh, they're trying to figure out, you know, what else can we do here? And uh, we're going to be holding a preseason basketball game against the Denver Nuggets that I believe is going to be on national TV. I think TNT is going to televise it. And um, it'll be the first outdoor basketball game. Uh, the venue's wonderful. Um, they did a little trial run with a high school game where we brought the court out and all that kind of stuff and make sure it all worked well under the lights. And it, it should be really exciting. It's going to be neat. I know it rarely rains in Indian Wells, but will they play? Will the court at least be undercover? Or are you just taking the no. chance that it'll, if it rains, the court gets wet? Well, if it rains, then we don't play. Okay. Yeah, because you can't have the guys slipping right. around. Right. That, that, that would be not a good thing. But no, it's it's out, out in the open, no cover, and you know it's it's built. The court will be put on top of the tennis court, and you know the odds of rain that day were like you know one percent or something. So. Who came up with that idea? I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, it had to do with basically our uh, one of my uh, limited partners uh, lives out there and hooked us up with the tennis center and our business people. We went out and kind of started exploring a little bit and kind of caught fire, and we decided to give it a whirl. That's fantastic. Last question for you. Uh, NBA All-Star Game taking place in New Orleans this weekend. 
you host the game next year in 2009. Are you going this weekend? And talk to me a little bit about Phoenix hosting the 2009 All-Star Game. Yeah, definitely going. Uh, my wife and I and our three kids are going to head out there uh, tomorrow, Friday. And um, uh, we go every year. My kids love the All-Star Game. Actually, they like the jam session where they get to go play all the games. Yeah. Get swindled on trading cards by all these hustlers. <laughs> um, but uh, we are hosting next year. It's going to be really exciting. Um, the final expansion of the Phoenix Convention Center will be done. It'll be a great way to show off that wonderful facility in, in downtown Phoenix. And um, really looking forward to it. So I'm going to be out there. And we got some people from the city of Phoenix coming out to learn a few things and make sure we're ready a year from now. Yeah, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about these all-star games is it's great for the economic impact of the city, the hotels, the restaurants, uh, all the tourism, but the owners and the team that secure the bid, they're not really making any money because you've got to keep your arena open for so long. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's it's not a money maker. It actually costs us to host it, but it is really good for the city and, um, and it's also good for our fans because they'll get a chance and the kids can come down. The jam session's fun, and it's a great experience for the city. And we'll do some nice events for our sponsors. And so we'll, we'll, we'll make it a positive thing for the Phoenix Suns franchise. But, number one, it's just a great thing for Phoenix. Well, Mr. Sarver, I appreciate you making the time. i got to tell you, I'm a Phoenix native, as you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that you bring the first uh, NBA championship to Phoenix with the Suns this year. Great. Nice talking to you again. Nice talking to you. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Green Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, something really cool for Boston Red Sox fans and even those who aren't Boston Red Sox fans, Fenway Park will allow fans to enter the visiting team's batting cage and take swings when the Red Sox are out of town in an attempt to attract more year-round fans to Fenway, the Fenway area. According to the Boston Globe, the experience is open to groups of at least 20 people paying 50 to 75 bucks per person for a private party at Game On. It's a Fenway restaurant outside the gates. When the Red Sox are at Fenway, this is really cool, restaurant patrons will be able to watch free of charge the visiting team take batting practice through a window at the bar at Game On. And they hope to have this open, up and running, by opening day on April 8th. Bobby, this is so cool. 
for any sports fan, it doesn't even matter if you're a Boston fan or if you're even a baseball fan, to be able to step on to a field like Fenway that's iconic and take batting practice, it's awesome. For dirt cheap. Dirt 50, cheap, 50 bucks. 50 bucks to you know stand on the field that you know baseball greats stood, a chance to hit a ball in a major league park. Yeah, it's cool when they say, hey, come out and run the bases. But to actually take batting practice in one of the most famous ballparks ever is just a great, great thing. Well, I'm a Cubs fan. I love the Red Sox, but Wrigley is also an iconic field, and I would love to do the same thing at Wrigley. And Mark Cuban, if you're listening, or the Cubbies, sell the team to Mark Cuban. Maybe uh, maybe the Cubs will do something like this with the ownership of Mark Cuban. Bobby, if you had to choose a field, Wrigley, Fenway, or Yankee Stadium, which one would be real quick? You know, since Yankee Stadium only has one year left before they move into the new Yankee Stadium, I'm going to have to say Yankee Stadium. However, if I had a choice, I'd do uh, Tiger Stadium in Detroit first. Oh, there it is. Then I'd do, then I'd do Fenway in Boston because those are just historic fields, and they have so much history behind them. You know, it'd just be awe-inspiring to me. We'll, we'll see if we can make the trip out to Boston to uh, kick it off. Thank you so much to our guests this week, Robert Sarver, Paul Swangard, down enjoying the All-Star Game in New Orleans. Of course, our show staff. Bobby Corser, Brian Berger, who couldn't join us this week, will be back. Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Of course, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. One more podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to the Sports Business Radio homepage. Click on the podcast button, and you will be downloaded to our show. Also, Check out our sports business blog. Stay tuned with all the sports business headlines from the week. That way you don't have to wait for our show. I'm Nathan Roach. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>